Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hey. Hi. How's it going, Stephen? Good. Welcome back from your travels. Thank you. I am happy to be sitting in front of a computer instead of on an airplane. There you go. It is. It's, yeah, computers are much better than airplanes. It's computers true. are better than almost anything, really. If I were to be <laughs> real honest with myself and where I am in life, they're they're kind of magic little boxes. That's true, except when they're not, and that's why we are here. <laughs> uh, so up first, we had uh, questions from John and Claire. Uh, both of them seem to be looking at setting up some sort of NAS, uh, which is a network attached storage. Synology is a popular brand. That's what we're going to talk about. And they're curious about some of the things that these uh, Synology or, or these um, network attached storage devices can do. And it's important to think about this as a NAS is really kind of a, a small computer. So the Synology, you put a bunch of hard drives in it, but it runs its own operating system and it's on your network and you can log into it and do things on it. It's not just like a something like an external hard drive or even a Drobo, which is still plugged into a computer and that Mac or PC is sort of managing things for it, like the Drobo. Most of them at least don't stand on their own. They do have a couple models that do. But a Synology is like a, really like a full-blown computer on your network that does a whole bunch of stuff on its own, which is pretty cool. And it, it makes them smart, right? So this is the question, like, what can these things do? Uh, you can totally just set one up and make it for like a giant bucket of data. That's what my Drobo does. It's just a big folder and I just put 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 so much stuff in it. It's really embarrassing. But Synology can do do lots of stuff. So we have a link in the show notes uh, to our friend Casey Liss. He's a big Synology user, and he has a bunch of examples in this blog post that we're going to link to. But you can run like your own VPN uh, access through one, so you could route all your traffic through it if you're if you're traveling, for instance. You can set up file sharing. So if I had a folder or a document on my Synology or on my NAS, I could create a link and send that to to you, and you could download it. Uh, without me having to use something like Dropbox or, or something in the middle. Oh, that's awesome. So I basically have my own little like Dropbox sharing folder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can set permissions on it. You can make it where it's, you know, someone has to log in to see something. So it's not just on the internet. You have a lot of control over that. You can use it as a Plex server, which we've had some questions about Plex. We'll get into that uh, another time. But Plex is a uh, I, I guess a simple way to say it is like sort of like an iTunes alternative where you can put a bunch of media and you can serve it. Um, and you can do that on a Synology. Some Synology, uh, op, like uh, some of their SKUs allow for like media transcoding. So you could have something that is sort of in a weird format and it transcodes it on the fly. Certain Synologies are better for that than others. So do some homework. Uh, but again, you can just use it as a big bucket for data. And just uh, point your your Plex server to it. Synologies have been there've been something I've been interested in for a while, uh, and now I feel like I should read Casey's article on this uh, because it definitely felt very daunting to me uh, to set one up. Whereas just the concept of just despite the fact that a NAS is really not that much different than a singular hard drive, it's just a bunch of hard drives in one spot. Uh, it feels. It feels one step away from I'm a nerd with a server room, right, yeah. Stephen? Like, oh, yeah, you're almost there. It doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel user friendly, and even to somebody like me who has a fair amount of technological expertise, it's still I don't know. It 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 veers into the like home theater audio technology side of things, which I've never been as much into as you know straight computer uh, tech. So. 
it's yeah i'm i'm actually really curious to read casey's article to find out you know exactly how it might fit for me i really like the idea of running a plex server i used to run one back um couple years outside of college um and then i never set one up when i moved back to the east coast so now i'm kind of like hmm, maybe maybe it's time maybe it's time to to find out about synology and find out about plex and make that all work yeah and and you can you're talking about you know kind of being on the computer nerd end of things you can do some of that stuff with this you can set up a time machine server so all of your macs back up to it you can use it to automatically torrent things buyer beware but that's out there um but synology also because it's a computer and it's, it, it like you said it well earlier it's kind of like your own private dropbox in a way so synology has apps that run on the device and they have client apps that run like on your phone or on your computer to sync things like photos or movies so you could have all your photos on the synology and use the um synology photo client and, and see all those and access them wherever you are so there's a lot of options. A lot, some of it does require some network know-how. You have to be able to open ports and be able to forward ports and that sort of thing. But I'll say this. The Synology support is very good, and they have a ver- very vibrant community. There's lots of good support forums, lots of good support articles. And so if you if you go down this road, it's, it's the brand that I like. But uh, one of the reasons I like it is that they have that that community around it. So there's always so, somebody who's tried what you're trying and and can help kind of get you through it. So if you need a lot of data and you want to do something clever with that data, you know, they're, they're expensive. The Drobo is expensive. Synology is expensive. But if you have those needs, uh, it's a definitely a good option to look at. So if I'm considering a Synology, what, like, if you, how would you describe um, people who should consider one versus, like, who shouldn't consider a Synology, basically? Like what? What are the what are the UK use cases for people who might just be better off with a single hard drive, right? Or like a big like a big all purpose storage or something different, maybe a Drobo. Yeah, I mean, I think I think where you cross the line is, you know, both of those sets of people need like big buckets of data. Like I, I just pulled up my Drobo, I've got eighteen terabytes available and I have twelve terabytes free. Like I, I needed that that amount of storage, but. I think when you're looking at something like a Synology is when I want this device to be able to do things with that data and be able to provide services for me that I can't do by just plugging a hard drive into a computer. So something like Time Machine Server, you can do that Mac to Mac with Mac OS Server and do all that stuff, but it's sort of finicky and, and it's it's a lot of steps to go through. But if you want something like I want a Plex server that transcodes for me or I want to look into using... Uh, the Synology um, file sharing, you know, that external file sharing, maybe that's a critical part of your workflow. You can't really do that with anything else very easily. And so I think look at your needs. And when you when you sort of stray into the categories of I need this box to do things for me that a computer can't do, or I need it to work even when I'm not at home and my computer's not at home, then I think that's when you sort of cross into looking at a Synology or a similar product. Interesting. So yeah, so you're basically, you're getting not quite a, a computer, but uh, something that has its own operating system that allows you to do more comprehensive things than just plug a dumb box right. into a smart computer and yeah. back it up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's they're cool. And if, I think if you have those needs, um, it's a it's a good way, uh, good thing to look at. Very interesting. Well, I've learned a lot. Good. <laughs> Hopefully John and Claire did too. 
If you're like John and Claire and have questions, you can use the hashtag AskQuery on Twitter and we'll see it. We take questions on all sorts of tech stuff. Uh, you can also follow the show at Query Show and uh, to, to follow along. So what's, uh, what's our second question this week? Oh, boy. So Kimberly is curious. She's going back to school and trying to pick between Microsoft Office and iWork. Oh man, I feel like I'm back in the uh, the Apple Store again. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's about that time, right? We're uh, we're in mid August. Uh, some colleges are going back to school next week. Some folks are going back to school in a couple weeks. Uh, but it's a great question. You know what what software is going to be right for your needs? Um, iWork has come a long way, uh, and it also happens to be the low low price of free on a new Mac, which is pretty great. Uh, whereas Microsoft Office can be free if you have certain education plans, uh, but usually uh, you're going to end up having to pay a monthly subscription fee to to make that work. Um, the other thing to I would say in terms of uh, checking about subscription plans is check with your school. A lot of schools offer cert- like discounted or even free plans for things like Office and Box and Dropbox. Uh, so it's always worth checking in with the IT department to see if any of those plans are covered. Um, obviously, at the base model, you want the app that's going to work best for your per- like specific needs. Uh, if you're just doing a lot of writing, uh, just straight old text editor, you know, uh, maybe you have to do some some fonts and uh, line spacing and stuff like that. You can pretty much do that in either program, iWork or Microsoft Office, Pages or, or uh, Word. Um, it's when you get into the other apps and the more multi-purpose, um, multimedia apps that you start to, uh, it starts to get a little uh, not great in terms of compatibility. So uh, I guess really quickly, in case you are live under a rock and you don't know what iWork or Office 365 are, uh, both of these are text editing, spreadsheet editing, and presentation editing software. And there's some subsequent like little bits and pieces of software in there too, uh, designed to create things like Word documents uh, or PDFs and the like, um, <laughs> posters for your local band show. Uh, so if you need cross compatibility, that's where it kind of gets iffy, right? Both of these programs and both of these suites of apps are quite good on their own. iWork is pretty phenomenal. Um, And Office 365, Microsoft Office, the suite has come a long, long way. There were years where I would just not even consider recommending it, even with the compatibility issues between different devices, because it was just so painful to use on a Mac. But nowadays, I feel like they're both, they're they're pretty feature pair. um, And they're, they're both pretty great. Uh, so if you are working in a silo, if you're just working for yourself, if you're mostly going to print out and hand out your things, or if you're handing in, you know, uh, you, you need to convert to a Word doc from something like Pages and iWork, all of that's pretty easy to do. Uh, it starts getting more complicated if you're trying to do complex PowerPoint spreadsheets uh, or PowerPoint, uh, Excel spreadsheets or PowerPoint documents to keynote, um, it starts getting more complex if you have uh, detailed links in your uh, pages document that you want to convert to Word. So if you're if you're going to be handing in 
stuff, uh, assignments in specific, that have to maintain their compatibility when you turn them into a professor or you turn them into, say, a classmate. That's when working cross-platform between iWork and Office 365 is is not so great. Um, and Stephen, I know you mentioned before the show, uh, it's also a little crazy because more and more of productivity software has been moved not so much on you know working in isolation, but working in collaborative environments like Google Apps um, or Office 365 online or iCloud.com's online sharing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I, God help you if you're using iCloud.com uh, live sharing. But so like, <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. It's mostly bad. So at Relay, we use Google Apps for everything. Like you and I both right now are looking at a Google Doc and we can edit things and move things around. We are. But those tools are only helpful if that's what everyone else is using. I think from a collaborative standpoint, Google Apps is is the best. Office 365 is good. Um, And that works fine. I'm mostly making fun of it, but it's not as good as the other two. But again, it's like it's kind of dependent on what the norm is, right? And it, it may be that, you know, someone like Kimberly ends up doing a lot of stuff in something like Microsoft Word, but then using Google Apps, you know, when it's time to collaborate and then bringing that back in maybe. Uh, I know a lot of schools, though, Google Apps for Education is very popular. And like we talked about Office 365 that some schools have free plans set up for students. A lot of times, especially smaller schools, will have Google Apps for Education set up as well. So they may be running all their back end on Google Apps, so you get all that for free. So... It's hard to say. There's so many factors in this. Um, I think there's some like big red flags, though. You know, if you need something like like access, you have to use Office. If you need to trade files back and forth, and you're a Mac Mac user, but everyone's a PC user, iWork's probably out. iWork can export that stuff, but like you said, Serenity, it gets weird going back and forth. Um, I think like not knowing much more about Kimberly's situation than her tweet. Like, I would say that that Office is probably the safest choice. Because you can always use Google Apps for free, and even if you got to pay the six bucks a month, um, that's not bad. Your school may have discounts available, and Office, for better or for worse, is still sort of the de facto standard. And and you can use that. And then iWork is free as well. So if you need to do something fancy in Keynote or something, that the collaboration is not as important. You can use that. But I, I think at least Office is still probably the sort of the safest bet here. I used to I used to call it the, you know, <laughs> the lesser evil it was or a necessary evil rather, but I I actually think it's uh, evolved into an app that's actually relatively n- not painful. Yeah. Like Word and stuff on the iPad are great. It really is. So, so much better than Pages. <laughs> oh yeah. So you you have yeah, that's true. So you have that going as well if if you are using iOS, um that's a factor too and, and all these platform all these systems have ios apps and the, you know the google docs and sheets and stuff are a little frustrating at times but they definitely work well uh but office has really come a really long way and uh, and of course pages and numbers and keynote are on ios as well so from that perspective um they're all available to you so so good luck kimberly yeah, which is really <laughs> good luck kimberly you'll be great do your homework stay in school stay in school you can be podcasters like us that brings us to the speed run Opals, O-H-P-L-E-S, is looking for a good car mount for their smartphone. Uh, Steven, what is your suggestion? My, my suggestion is always do what the wire cutter says you should do. <laughs> so they have they have a review. They looked at a bunch of these. I don't use a car mount in my car, uh, but I have in the past, and I just use a cheap one I bought somewhere. But they have a bunch of really good options if you need to 
uh, like grab onto an air vent or if you need to attach to the glass or if you need a cradle. Lots of good options out there. Um, so go check out. That will be a link in the show notes. They, they updated it just this past summer, so it should be uh, pretty relevant. All these choices should still be available. Yeah, I really like uh, the the top non-CD slot one that they recommend, which is uh, the TechMat mag grip air vent i really like it i've used it before um i'm only not using it now because of a big fat folio case on my phone um but otherwise if you're if you have like a, yes, a thin case it's it's fantastic there's something really nice about magnets we have a question from uh zero g 46 no doubt zero g 46 is a family name handed down from generation to generation they've been backing up photos by zero g 45 yeah, 44 <laughs> their child will be 47 it's good I like the consistency. They've been backing up photos to Microsoft OneDrive, but they can't see images taken in the new uh, image format HEIF. And or HEIF. Curious why. H-E-I-F. Yes. Uh, well, one of the big de- reasons for that is like any image format, uh, it requires, you know, Apple encodes the image in H-E-I-F. Uh, but to decode it um, or to display it in a in a way that OneDrive understands, OneDrive has to take uh, has to be able to have the code to view it, right? So Apple has it in built into iOS right now and built into High Sierra. Uh, however, because neither of those are public yet, um, the OneDrive app can't hook into those public APIs to to showcase it. There might be uh, betas that are being worked on in Microsoft right now that are HEIF supported. Um, Apple might even make it really even easier for apps. I know I've run into a, a couple of situations during my iOS beta days where I'll try and upload a photo to, say, TweetBot, and it, and it says, no, this is not a file type we recognize. Um, and that's largely, again, because iOS 11 isn't Oh, isn't out yet, and uh, High Sierra isn't out yet. So, when both of those things come out, uh, you are going to be more likely. Hopefully, Microsoft will be able to hook into APIs appropriately and push out an update so that you can see and view them uh, and and share them accordingly. Um, and it's also worth noting that Apple can export to non-HEIF formats. So um, even if you're backing up those full full format files to HEIF, if you wanna share them in a way that your friends and family can see while you're waiting for iOS 11 to show up, you can just share it from the Photos app uh, and the Photos app will automatically convert to JPEG or a different file format when you send it via email or via, you know, via messages or something like that. Yeah, and I'm running the the iOS 11 beta now everywhere, and I just I have High Sierra just on my laptop, not on my iMac, and so I've just set my iPhone and iPad to take pictures in the old format. So you can tell it, hey, just use JPEG for new images, and then I figure once the fall rolls around and everything's updated, and like you said, these developers have time to support it more uh, widely, then I will move over to it. Because they're real benefits. Uh, they're smaller images, they're compressed better, uh, but still have the same the same quality. So I think it's going to be... A, mm-hmm. More metadata, too. Yeah, so it's going to be a good move that the live photo stuff is, is exciting that it can do. Uh, so thumbs up on the new format, but it's early days. We're still in the beta season, so there's going to be some hiccups. So maybe for now, the, the answer is just turn it off and use JPEG and then check back in once the OneDrive app gets updated, hopefully this fall. Yep. And all of your photos that you've backed up already, even if you can't see them, they're still safe. They're still encoded in the right, you know, in HEIF and you'll be able to see them again in a few months um, in in OneDrive. 
Uh, so, Stephen, last question of our speed run. Michael was wondering, can we put chapters in the podcast each week for each of our questions? Uh, we can, starting this episode. So I haven't done it uh, previously, but uh, a couple people have asked. So, yeah, so starting with uh, this episode you're listening to, this will have chapter markers in it. And uh, moving forward, we'll do it. It's a good, it's good, good suggestion. Woo-hoo! Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. And thanks, Stephen. Yes. It wasn't Michael Hurley. I'm not being uh, trolled by my co-founder via the speed run. <laughs> so it's a real, real person, Michael. Real person. Yeah. So thank you for listening to Query. Uh, you can find our show notes this week at relay.fm slash query slash six. Uh, I do want to mention that it is membership month at Relay FM. So uh, we are going to be doing a, a members episode. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But if you're a member of any show, you get access to all these bonus episodes all of our shows do. You get a monthly newsletter, some secret podcast stuff, um, some new members-only wallpapers, all sorts of fun stuff. So you can learn more at relay.fm slash membership on our brand new fancy redesigned website. And uh, sign up. You can support any show and you get all that stuff. Uh, but we'd love to have you uh, as a member. Like we said before, to submit questions, please tweet with the hashtag AskQuery, and we'll, we'll be sure to see it. In the meantime, you can find Serenity on Twitter at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and find her writing at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write 512pixels.net. And until uh, next week, say goodbye. Goodbye, all. Adios. <laughs>